You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, the last day of February in this non-leap year. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. More than 14,000 households are without power in Nevada County. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to PG&E about what it will take to restore service. The California Report travels to Tahoe and the upper reaches of Southern California as both areas cope with epic snowfall. KVMR's Felton Pruitt talks to Nevada County student Maddox Eckerling about an opportunity he's creating to form alliances with the LBGTQ community. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. San Bernardino County has declared a local state of emergency because of the massive amounts of snow that have collected in the county's mountains. Hundreds of people in the Lake Arrowhead and Big Bear areas have been trapped in their homes or vacation rentals. That includes Daniel Guckin, who lives in the community of Running Springs, about 20 miles west of Big Bear Lake. He spoke to television station ABC7 in Los Angeles. You just can't get around. Some of the roads are clear. The road I live on is an ice slick. And, you know, it's just the unfortunate thing is, you know, I'm sick. My daughter's sick. I have a prescription waiting for me, two prescriptions waiting for me at Rite Aid. Can't get there. Hmm. Some of the higher elevations in San Bernardino County have gotten more than seven feet of snow. The emergency declaration asked for state and federal assistance to clear snow from mountain highways and neighborhood streets and to provide any other assistance that's needed in affected communities. The state's Office of Emergency Services says it's coordinating with local officials on what it can do to help. In the northern part of the state, the winter storms are far from over. Parts of the Sierra foothills remain under a blizzard warning. The National Weather Service in Reno says the amount of snow could make it virtually impossible to travel in some areas. Barrett Burkhardt is director of mountain operations at Heavenly Ski Resort in South Lake Tahoe. He says while his resort welcomes the snow, it has almost gotten to be too much to handle. The skiing has actually been phenomenal. It's just, you know, it gets so high now that, like, we have to start worrying about clearances for the chairlifts we have to like go in underneath chair lines and take snow cats and remove snow because the snow is getting so high underneath some of our chairlifts many ski resorts have reported over five feet of snow over the past week Berghardt says for tahoe residents it's a challenge even to get around town some of the neighborhoods are the roads are getting pretty narrow and if we get these 30 inches that we're expected to get over the next few days it's going to be tough on the city to keep these roads open and you know allowing people to get to their houses you know after work or whatever because a lot of them are getting down pretty close to one lane the sierra blizzard warning is in effect until early tomorrow morning support for the california report comes from guideline their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes more at guideline.com ca guideline the california way to 401k stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com.
A generation ago, California was in the midst of a prison construction boom as more people were locked up because of tougher sentencing laws. In the years since, California's state prison population has plummeted from a high of about 165,000 to below 100,000 today. In response, Governor Newsom has moved to start closing down four prisons. But advocates of criminal justice reform want to see more prisons shut down. One of them is Amber Rose Howard of the group California united for a responsible budget. I talked to Howard about prison closures, starting with her reaction to the governor's actions. We are actually very excited about that. We think it's about time. You know, uh, California had a really crazy prison boom right between the 70s and the 90s, and we got up to 35 prisons. And so it's about time to shut some of these prisons down. So we're very excited that Governor Newsom is on board with that um, and is actually doing taking steps to make it happen. But you want to see even more closures, right? So how many more prisons could you see shutting down in the state? Absolutely. We think more should be done. We think the state, uh, well, we know the state uh, has the opportunity to close at least 10 prisons by 2025. And so that's what we'd like to see. That's what we're calling on. And I know we could talk just about this for hours, but what's your best argument for prison closures generally? So number one, we don't need them. Um, and we don't need them for a few reasons. For one, because they're being emptied. So they're literally physical, uh, you know, um, spaces that the state is spending so much money on billions of dollars on. Matter of fact, the budget this year is at $19 billion. Um, and so we're wasting money on these facilities that we don't need. And second of all, we just haven't seen any, uh, public safety increases because of more prisons. More prisons does not equal more safety. And because we know that now, you know, after 60 years since the prison boom, um, those are, I think, two really strong arguments on why we need to be closing prison. And as an advocate for wider criminal justice reform, can I assume you want to see more than just prisons shut down, right? You want to see a greater emphasis on rehabilitation and alternatives to people serving hard time. Do I have that right? Absolutely, because I think that the numbers are important for people to look at. I think it's it's helpful but also we've got to listen to the the personal stories and the experiences from people who are incarcerated and formerly incarcerated. I am a formerly incarcerated person. I was incarcerated at 18 years old for a serious violent felony, but I was not sent to prison uh, because of the trajectory of my life and what it looked like to a court, to a judge, because of the support from my community. It was like, okay, we're not going to put Amber Rose Howard in prison. We're going to let you can, you know, graduate high school. We're going to let you go to college. We're going to see what happens. Turns out I've never touched the justice system ever again. Um, And so I'd like to use my story sometimes as an example to say we don't need incarceration to get people on a track toward like care and toward healthy living. What we need is to provide folks with housing and food and health care, which is like mental health care, physical health care, emotional wellness. Those are the things that keep people safe away from crisis and like away from harm completely. Um, And so that's what we're looking at. And we know the state can do it because all we've got to do is shift those dollars. All right. We've been talking to Amber Rose Howard, Executive Director of Californians United for a Responsible Budget, or CURB. Thanks for joining us on the California Report. Thank you so much, Saul. I really appreciate being on. And finally this morning, California's COVID-19 state of emergency officially ends today. Declared by Governor Newsom in March of 2020, way before COVID tests and vaccines, the emergency directive gave the governor the power to rescind regulations, redirect state funding, and even commandeer private property if necessary to battle the pandemic.
When the state of emergency was declared, the state only had 53 known COVID cases. As we emerge from the pandemic, the virus has claimed the lives of some 100,000 Californians. Maybe today is a good day to remember who we've lost. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, February 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and let's talk tomorrow. The snow kept relentlessly falling all day in our immediate listening area, and the usual consequences were countywide. Schools and businesses closed, escalating incidents of trees down across roads and into power lines, and spreading outages, including all of downtown Nevada City by midday. Both the Grass Valley and Nevada City School Districts announced this afternoon that all schools and district programs will be closed Wednesday due to power outages and snow impacts. The extreme weather shelter the county operates with Sierra Roots will be open 24 hours a day through Friday morning at the Nevada City Veterans Hall at 415 North Pine Street. Now here's your forecast from the National Weather Service. Through tonight and into early Wednesday, our region will see snow, rain, gusty winds, and the travel and power problems that come with them. A hard freeze warning is in effect from 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. Wednesday and Thursday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, rain and snow showers turning to snow after 8, then gradually ending. Tonight's snow accumulation could approach 4 inches. We'll have a low of around 20 and southwest wind at 5 to 14 miles per hour, with some gusts clocking in at 21 miles per hour. Wednesday's forecast is something different. Mostly sunny, with a high near 41 and northeast wind to 10 miles per hour. Wednesday night in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear, with a low around 24. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, a blizzard warning is in effect until 4 a.m. Wednesday. Near-zero visibility could cause travel to be impossible through Wednesday morning. Tonight in Tahoe, expect widespread blowing snow, a low of 5 degrees, and new snow accumulation of 5 to 9 inches. West wind to 15 miles per hour is expected to decrease to 5 to 10 miles per hour after midnight. Wednesday, we'll see a chance of early morning snow, then turn partly sunny with a high near 24. It will be blustery with a north wind of 10 to 20 miles per hour with gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Wednesday night in Tahoe, mostly clear with a low around 4 and east wind of 15 miles per hour. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, a chance of showers, thunderstorms, and breezy conditions with a low around 31. Wednesday, expect widespread frost before 7 a.m., then sunny and windy with a high near 53 and a low of 31. North-northwest wind will increase in the afternoon with gusts up to 28 miles per hour. Freeze warnings are in effect overnight Wednesday and Thursday. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. As of late this afternoon, Ubinet.com was reporting 99 power outages in Nevada County, with more than 14,000 homes affected.
KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza spoke to a PG&E representative earlier today about how the utility is approaching assessing and repairing the damage and the prospects for getting power to the people. A good portion of us are without power, and so, well, I decided I would reach out to PG&E and... Thankfully, I got a call back. We're going to be speaking to Mr. Paul Moreno. He's a PG&E spokesperson for PG&E's North Valley and Sierra region. He's based out of Chico, and we have him live on the air now. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning, Claudio. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Getting right right to it. Well, we had this big snow event last year, and a lot of people lost power. Certainly, there's a lot of power out now. But it seems to be a little less. And I, I don't know for sure, but I think maybe it has to do with the fact that so many trees came down onto so many power lines last year that now maybe there isn't so many trees to fall into lines. Can you, can you speak to that? Can you offer any insights? Sure. Well, that's, that's a really good perception of the, of the event. Uh, we do have a lot of trees that came down last year due to heavy snow loading. And believe it or not, the forest still has more than 99% of those trees still standing from last year. And plenty more have fallen again. We have heavy snow loading on tree branches, breaking off branches and some fallen trees. And not only has that impacted power lines in many areas, but it's also impacted access for our crews to be able to get out and assess so it doesn't mean we can't assess. It just means that we have to work harder to get access to the repair um, areas, which is exactly what we're doing. We're using snowcats. We're using snowplows, even donning snowshoes, and, of course, chains on our trucks to reach areas to make assessments and to begin repairs. Um, compared to last year, we actually had an atmospheric river that came through and was very much centered on Nevada Placer counties, as you remember well, and that did lead to some very long-term power outages um, for those regions. This storm is not as bad, but it is pretty bad. Let's talk about crews. I, I was really hoping to talk to you about how many crew members are on the job now compared to last year's event. So I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but we have mobilized our, our entire crews across our service area. We've been bringing in crews from outside the area to help local crews so we can get restoration and estimations completed much more quickly. And we also leaned on many of our contractors to help us uh, rebuild and make repairs as well. Local numbers, I just don't have off the top of my head, but I, we have brought in additional resources to this area because this is right now the hardest impacted area in PG&E's entire service area. Right. That actually leads me to my next question. It, it seems fairly clear that Nevada County has the largest percentage of outages across the state. Clearly there's snow and, and certainly there's places in our county that don't typically get this much snow that are being impacted. But Right. So we did have the low snow elevation event um, that is continuing. You know, bear in mind, this storm has actually been going on for, for most, well, all of this week and a bit of last week as well. And Nevada County was faring pretty well, whereas other parts of our service area, like up in the Chico Redding area and further south, were getting more impacted. But unfortunately, this with this recent wave of storm that we've seen, uh, Nevada County was impacted. So it's definitely weather-driven. And in response to that, we've brought in additional resources so we can make assessments more quickly. 
But again, access remains an issue for us. It means it's slower going just to get out and make assessments and repairs. It's senior project season in Nevada County High Schools. Maddox Eckerling is inviting the public to learn from his senior project on March 23rd at the Miners Foundry. It's a panel called Strength in Pride, and it's a chance for all who seek to understand to learn how they can support the LBGTQ plus community. In this conversation with KVMR's Felton Pruitt, Eckerling talks about his decision to use his project to help the next generation of queer youth. We're talking with Maddox Eckerling, a queer young person attending Godoti Early College High School in western Nevada County. And you'll be hosting a panel called Strength in Pride, a senior project. It'll be happening at the Miners Foundry on Thursday, March 23rd at 6.30 p.m. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So this is a senior project, so you've been working on this for a while. Yes, so our senior project requirement is that we have 30 hours and I, I hit that a little while ago, but I have been working on this for about, since school started, so since August. You plan on continuing in this field after you graduate? Yes. So I plan to, I'm going to San Francisco State University next year to receive a bachelor's in sociology. And then I will move on to get my master's in social work um, to then continue work like this as a profession. Do you plan on coming back to our area after graduating school, or are you going to just see where it lands you after that? I'm just going to see where the career takes me and um, hopefully do some traveling, um, but I have not decided where I'm going to end up. What was your whole purpose of, of getting into this? I mean, I know you're passionate about this. Explain your passion. Yeah, so as a queer person in our community um, and growing up here, um, you know, figuring out who I am, um, going through that journey of self-discovery, I've really been learning about the inequalities that queer people face, especially um, as a youth in the educational system right now, you know, not having that representation. And I think that that's leading to a lot of the harassment that queer people receive in this world is because of that lack of education. And so that's where I've gotten this passion to educate our community, to um, help the next generation of queer people really have a a much better um, and much inclusive uh, experience. How old were you when you realized that you weren't exactly the person people thought you might be? So my journey started in seventh grade um, with my first ever male crush, um, but I didn't start coming out to people until sophomore year of high school. I guess it was a traumatic experience for you? Um, I wouldn't say traumatic, um, but it was definitely eye-opening, and there have been, you know, issues with family members that don't accept me, but I've also been really lucky to have a good support system that still supports me fully um, and wants me to have the best, you know, life that I can, but I think that the biggest issue that I've run into is just a lot of ignorance with people not knowing truly what my experience is. That's what this panel probably will be very helpful then that's happening at the Miners Foundry on March 23rd, I would assume. Exactly. That's the whole point of this panel is to really just help start educating the community on, on who we are and how the community can help support us as queer individuals. So when you talk about the community, you talk about the LGBTQ plus community. Let's define this for people just a little bit because most people don't really even understand what all that means. We got lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, and then plus, which is allies. No, actually. So the plus is everyone else in the community. 
Okay. Um, so there's a lot more identities than just the, the few in LGBTQ. So the plus includes every other identity that someone may be on the spectrum because identity is a spectrum. Um, and so the plus just includes the rest of the spectrum. Then where do allies come in? So allies are a third party that support us. Allies are not technically part of the LGBTQ community, um, but they, are, they play the central role in supporting us. It's my understanding that action-based is part of being an ally. Absolutely. There's many different ways to be an ally. There's the action-based going to things, but, you know, standing up for queer people. But then there's also the very important, um, what I would consider one of the most important parts about being an ally, which is to become informed, um, which is going to be part of what the panel is doing. But the only way to truly be the best ally you can be is to educate yourself um, and then help educate other people. And I guess one of the things that's really important is resources to get assistance if you're dealing with some sort of issue that's uncomfortable for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. What kind of resources have you found so far? For me, online has been the best resource. You know, Google has helped me a lot. It helped me discover exactly who I am. But also there's um, resources like the Human Rights Campaign, um, the Trevor Project, GLAAD, which are all um, nonprofit organizations that help LGBTQ people in general. The Trevor Project is an incredible one because it helps with anyone going through mental health crisis um, who is LGBTQ. But then the Human Rights Campaign is one of my personal favorites um, and one that I'm actually working with um, and hope to work with more. They're an organization working on furthering LGBTQ rights um, and representation in the world. We want to encourage people to Check out the Miners Foundry on March 23rd. It's the Strength and Pride, a senior project panel that you'll be hosting at 630. How can people get more information about this? Yeah, so um, there is a post on kvmr.org that you can go to and learn more. But also we are on Eventbrite, so strength-in-pride.eventbrite.com to learn more and purchase your tickets. They are completely free but we're just trying to get some numbers of how many people will be attending. Yeah, if you go to kvmr.org and then you go to the community calendar section, you can go down to March 23rd and you'll see your post there. And the Miners Foundry hosting this on the 23rd. Also on June 11th, KVMR is going to be doing one of our birthday celebrations and we'll be doing Pride at the Miners Foundry celebrating Osborne Woods, who were uh, two of the main founders of uh, KVMR. And of course, KVMR started at the Miners Foundry some 45 years ago. We've been talking with Maddox Eckerling. Thank you so much for all the information, and and, uh, we'll wish you a lot of success on March 23rd at the Miners Foundry. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. That's our newscast for Tuesday, February 28th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from our treasured listeners and from MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley, mecbuilds.com. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. 
milkmancompany.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Stay safe and warm, and remember to stay tuned to KVMR to get up-to-the-minute reports at the top of the hour or as news breaks. And join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.